Well, hey, uh, if we haven't got a chance to meet yet, my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Salem. Um, we're going to be diving into um, our book of Ruth um, this morning, uh, continuing our story. If you do not have one of these yet, uh, there should be an extra one on your table. Uh, if not, you can raise your hand and one of our wonderful ushers will bring that to you. Uh, this is what we call a companion uh, journal. If that's not manly enough, you can call it a companion guide. If that's too silly, you can call it paper with staples. I don't care. Um, this is for you. It's our gift to you. There's lots of great stuff in here for you to engage throughout the week on your own, with your family, with others, and your life group, whichever, so that you can get the most out of uh, this season uh, as possible as we move towards, uh, towards Easter. So we'll be on page 21. So while you're getting those, while you're turning to that page, uh, let me just tell you a story. This last week, I started watching a TV show. Um, it's uh, called Alone. How many of you guys have heard of the show? Okay, just slightly, a few more maybe than first service. Uh, I get the privilege of, of welcoming you guys into this great show. Okay, so this is a, this is a show, I think I just jumped in. I, I didn't start at the beginning. I think I'm in like season seven, I don't even know. It's a, it's a show about 10 individuals that are dropped off um, basically in an isolated space by themselves um, in the wilderness of British Columbia. And what they have to do is that they have to learn to survive on their own, alone. Um, they have families at home, you know, who miss them and all those things. And, and really, it's this giant kind of wrestling match uh, versus nature. It's the last person to tap out wins half a million dollars. And you go, man, that sounds really interesting. Like everything inside of me says, yeah, that sounds awesome. The other everything inside of me, which I know is a paradox, says, no way, don't do that. Um, and, and there's this, like, you got to, like, you watch the show, like, they're weakly fending off, like, grizzly bears. And you're like, and one guy, it was like, he'd, like, chase grizzly bears and chase mountain lions. And then later on, he would say, my wife's going to yell at me when I get home from that. Well, duh. You know, like, come on, dude. You know, you got family at home. Um, and so there's this, 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 you know, this struggle that's happening. And they're, they have to build their own shelter and collect their own food and fight off bears. And it's crazy. But so there's this big kind of overarching struggle that's happening in this story. Um, but then when there's this one moment and this guy, he comes and he sets up the camera, his GoPro, and he sits down on the beach and there's this big, massive, scenic, beautiful British Columbia lake behind him. And he looks into the camera and he says this. He says, I don't have very many friends at home. What I'm about to tell you, very few people know about he said, my daughter, when she was born, was born with a heart defect. By two weeks old, she had had two open heart surgeries. By the time she was three, she had a third, and we lost her at age four. And he goes, I don't know what it is, but something about being out here, recognizing the story, never having really shared that before, but being here in the middle of nowhere, I can tell a camera. And it's interesting for me as I think about, you know, this, this rough and, you know, you know, rugged, you know, survivalist that it took thousands of miles being removed from his family by himself for him to look in a camera and admit, this is my struggle. And it's really painful and it's really hard. And so for you and I, when we think about struggles, we look at that story, we hear that story, we go, I can identify. Some of you, maybe that's the same story. 
And maybe for other of you, you're like, well, that's not my story. Like, I can't identify. It's not the same story. But it really is the same because I identify with the idea of struggle. And so whether it's something that's in my head or in my heart, or if it's something in my family, if it's something in my workplace, if it's something in my middle school, high school, or university, whatever it is, that you and I are in a constant and daily, yearly, lifely battle, lifelong battle with struggle. And it's there all of the time, it's present in some ways in small and in sometimes in big. And it's incredibly important for us as Christians to learn how to struggle well. To struggle well is the ability to point myself or anybody else to Jesus at any given time. And so here's why I say that, right? Because you might be in this season, and I don't know, I just want to be sensitive to whatever struggle is in the room. And so I want to be sensitive to it and say, gosh, you might be in a place where you just feel like you're in over your head. And you go, like, I am struggling, but I have nobody in my life right now that is pointing me to Jesus. And we want to offer, we've got a group coming up that's going to be going through this book, you'll get through this. And so if that's you, you're like, man, I just need people in my life to, to struggle well with. Can I encourage you to be a part of this when it comes up? I don't remember when it starts. March 26th. <laughs> interaction here at Salem, um, which is great, because I want to push you towards this, okay? Um, but but here's, here's the deal, as I think through this, right, because here's why it's so important, because if you and I are not struggling well, what can happen is that we go down this spiral that can lead us to a place of really dark, deep, broken bitterness. And it's not a place that's good for us to be, Right? And so fortunately for us, right, fortunately, the entire Bible is this way. It's a massive story of redemption, but Ruth itself is a story of redemption. It's about God as a redeeming God who looks into the world and he sees not just the broken mess of the world, but he sees the broken mess of your life. He knows everything that's going on in your life in addition to everything else. And he looks in, he's like, I want to reach down and I want to pull out of that brokenness and I want to buy back these people, these moments, these stories for myself and for my purposes. And that's what this book, this book is. It's a book about redemption. And so this morning, we're going to jump into chapter two. We have all chapters, so we're really only going to look at the first chapter. I will summarize, or the first portion, and then I'll summarize the, the second part. But here we'll start in, in chapter two, verse one, okay? Page 21 in your books. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Okay, so remember that, that last week Ken was looking at the story of Naomi and Ruth as they travel back, and what we find is that Naomi, whose name means pleasant, right, she's now bitter because lots of things have happened in her life. And as I was processing this week, like, what's an image to capture that? For whatever reason, like, this, this picture of, like, like a, like a backloader, like, you have those things on a tractor that dig into dirt and they scoop it up, and so it's like she and her family move to Mo. Moab, and there's this fullness, and it keeps getting filled, but yet somehow that lever gets like, like switched, and as it moves up, right, the dirt begins to slowly come out, and eventually it all falls out, and, and Naomi is left in a place where she's like, I am empty, which is why I feel broken, which is why I feel 
bitter. And so if you're in her situation, right, like you're, you're going, man, like, like, God, what is going on? Like, what, what is ever, like, what, how are you ever going to redeem this story? What is it that you can do that will ever bring fullness to my life again, right? And, and the reality is, is that when we lose significant people in our life, the truth is, is that life will never actually be the same again. Because God doesn't have duplicates of people that he can put in our life. And even if he did, they don't have the same experiences or the same story, right? And so, like, that doesn't even work. And so we know that life will never be the same, and yet God looks at us. He says, I, I understand this is not the way that it's supposed to be, but let me tell you, I can bring fullness to your life. I can bring completeness back to and into your life. And so for Naomi, though, she's got to be asking these questions like, what can God do? How will he ever go about bringing this? She's looking for answers. She's seeking, right? And this is a fundamental, right? It's intrinsic of us as human beings. When we lose something, we go on a quest, and we want to find all of these answers to everything that's happening. We go, God, here's all the needs that I have, and I want to know how and when you're going to fulfill those. And it's the story that we want to ultimately to dictate, right? And we're looking for answers. And for some of us, it's like we're just looking for new opportunities. Some of us are looking for a spouse. Some of us are looking for a new spouse because we lost our other one. Maybe we're looking for a new major in college. Like, I don't know what it is, but we lose something and we're on this path of looking for something, right? Does it ever happen in your life? And I'm guessing it's not just me, but has it ever happened in your life when there is a need that you perceive to be real in your world, so much so, whether that's a 10-year thing in God's mind or 20-year thing, right, so much so that that begins to monopolize you. Right, there's these struggles that we can have, these, these what feel like very real needs or are very real needs, or maybe they're felt needs, but they create this never-ending struggle that can take precedence over everything in our life. Right, and I think that when, when this happens in our life, it's like God looks at, looks at me and he's like, Seth, I understand that you're broken. I know all of the things that you're hoping for, and, and, and some of those might be in my plan. Here's what I can tell you is that I have a plan, and that it will bring fullness to your life, but here's the deal, Seth. I want you to know there are needs in your life that you're overlooking right now, and can I meet you right now, right here with what you need? Can I meet you, Right? And so we have this tendency, those things can consume us, and God's like, can I enter in, right? And so there's this one thing in this story, right? There's lots of room and area for God to work, lots of ways for God to bring fullness, and yet the thing that's identified, what they need first and foremost right now is what? Food. They have no food, right? 20 years isn't going to matter from now if you don't have food right now. And so God is going to bring food into the story. Now, we know that throughout the Bible, God can provide food in all sorts of miraculous ways, right? So, like, just imagine, like, Ruth and Naomi, like, they're at home. Oh, man, I'm really hungry. And manna starts to fall from heaven. Would that be pretty cool? Yeah. Could God do that? Yeah. Could he do it? Yeah. But more often than not, the way that God actually provides in Scripture 
and through our lives is actually through relationships. It's through people. So here's this man, Boaz, who enters into the story, right? And Boaz is listed as a man. He's a relative of, of Naomi's, but he's given this characteristic, is that he is worthy, Right? That's the characteristic that he's given in the very beginning. And we know that Hebrew names have meaning, and so Boaz's name has something to do with strength. And so what God is doing is he's entering a character into the story who seems to have the ability or the strength to be able to accomplish something that God wants to do. Because what we're going to find is a worthy man who has much to give is going to meet a woman who has much to receive. And God has like been preparing them for each other. And, and, I, and I kid you not, we're going to get into this more later, but you can already start to see how this is going to feel a little bit like an Old Testament Hallmark movie, right? It's going to happen. Just wait for it, okay? Right? So here's what happens. Ruth, uh, in chapter two, we're going to switch over to Ruth, right? And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And so she, Naomi, said to her, go my daughter. Okay? So here's the deal. So when, when you look at this, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> the first thing that we find out, remember, and we learned this last week, is that Ruth is actually described as Naomi's Daughter. Now, is that her official title? No, because she's a daughter-in-law. And yet, there's something about the relationship where they've not really come together. They are a family. It's, there's, no, there's no blurred lines. Like, she is her daughter. This is, how, this is how they interact and how they treat each other. And so there's this deep love and bond between the two. And yet, Naomi is still in a place of bitterness, right? Ruth acknowledges it. She sees the brokenness. And so what does she do? She takes initiative, and says, let me go glean. Let me help be a solution to the problem. We need food, so let me go do that while you stay here, right? Okay, so here's the deal. So in order to understand what this whole gleaning thing is, it's, it's, it's helpful to know a little bit about the Old Testament law. So you go back to Deuteronomy 24, and here's what it says. It says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for who? The sojourner. You could just put Ruth's name in here, couldn't you? It shall be for Ruth. But it's also for the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. When you beat um, your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the who? the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and it goes on, right? When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, right? We're picking up. This is, this is the pattern. Three times now, this is what's been said, and this is what he links it to. He says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Okay, so here's the deal. So if you're thinking about harvest season, this is kind of what it would, what it would look like, right? So if you, you work for Boaz, you're going through the field, right, and you're reaping, right? You're, you're getting all the crop, you're gathering it, and it's being collected in bundles. And as it's piling up, what's going to happen is it gets heavier and bigger and harder to control, and one falls by the wayside. When you look back at that, you go, man, that's Boaz's. You know, we should get that. And yet the law says no. Why? 
Because that's, like, that's for somebody else. Does that technically belong to you? Yes. But the law says, leave it for somebody else. Because behind are going to come the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow, the people who have less. And what do they do? They come behind and they pick up the small pieces. And those they get to keep for themselves. Okay? Now, I want you to think about this for a second. In today's world, this is going to feel a little archaic because most of our checking is done online anyways, but let's just say that you got a check for $100, and you went to the bank, and you got it cashed out for $100 bills. Excuse me, no, $100, $1 bills, right? That'd be a great deal. Um, and you go, and you get 100 ones. And so as you're leaving the bank, you carry your $1 bills, and one falls out, and it drops to the ground, right? Is that your money? Absolutely, it is, right? But the law in the Old Testament would state that that, because it's the equivalent of wheat, is for the sojourner, right? And this is the tension in American Christianity. This is the tension in American culture, is the sense of entitlement. This is mine. This is what I deserve, and this is what I want, right? Now, here's what I'm, okay, get this. I'm not saying don't pick up the $1 bill, okay? Because in North Dakota and Minnesota, no one will ever see it again, okay? So make sure you pick it up. I want you to understand the heart of the law here. The heart of the law is what? God's disposition is to help those who have less, and he does it through the people who have more. That's the disposition. That's, that's God's heart, right? And the way that he links it is he says, remember that you are at one point, right, you are enslaved in like this bondage to sin and death, right? And you had nothing. What does God do? He shows up and he brings them out of it. He says, this is my disposition as God, creator, Yahweh. Therefore, this is your disposition. Remember Micah 6.8, what does the Lord require? You know, act justly, do justice, Right? in mercy, in kindness, right? And yet for us in American culture, again, we look at this, we wrestle with this tension because it's entitlement. This is mine and for me. And so what the author does brilliantly, because we see this from our perspective and from our shoes, the author is inviting us to see the story through the eyes of Ruth. That's what's happening Okay? He's inviting us to see the story from the eyes of Ruth. Because here's the deal. Look at this. Right? So Ruth was labeled a daughter. Right? She was labeled a daughter of Naomi's. But how is she described in this next part? She's described as a Moabite. You see, so from Naomi's perspective, who is Ruth? She's her daughter. Who is Ruth to everybody else? A Moabite, right? And so I want to tell you this, like, like Ruth, like it just think about the, the vulnerability here because I, I'm guessing, I can't say for certainty, but I'm guessing that Ruth has never been more cognizant of her foreignness than that moment. She's walking through a field and gleaning from people who are not her people, who she said they would be her people, it's a different people, right? Think about the vulnerability. I want you to think about the safety. Right? She could just as easily be overlooked, uncared for, right? It really all depends on the character of the people upholding the law. Like, are they going to like, pick it up and say, nope, that's mine, that's not for you, you can't have it, because they could probably do that, right? Or maybe she's unsafe because she could get hurt, abused, right? Stolen from, 
right? And so you look at this and you go, gosh, this is incredibly vulnerable. And yet when God looks at, Naomi, or at Ruth, what does he see? He sees that Ruth is doing this for whose benefit? Naomi. And that's her heart. Now, this is where the story gets a little bit more fun. Okay, look at verse 3. It says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Okay, so here's the fun thing, right? The word happened, which we've highlighted, right? Happened. Um, In Hebrew, it's very much as it sounds. It sounds like chance. That's what it's saying. This, this, it really appears that she went out and she went to a field and she didn't know which field she was going to be at. She picked a field and it happened. Or by chance, by sheer luck, this was the field that belonged to Boaz. Okay? Right? And so you look at this and this is the language that's being used. But it goes on. Look at verse 4. Right? It says, and behold... Now, the word behold actually carries with it the sense of like, like suddenness or, or surprise, right? So he comes from Bethlehem, and it's like all of a sudden he shows up, and then you've got these two characters who are oblivious to each other who are going to run into each other. Old Testament Hallmark movie? Here we come, okay? So here's the deal. If we were to transcribe this into Hallmark movie language, here's what it would look like, Okay? Um, Ruth moves from a country to a new country, and she comes and she goes, man, I need food, I need to do that, so she walks and she sees a sign that says, help wanted, so she goes into the local coffee shop, she converses with the um, barista, she gets a nice hot cup of joe, and grabs an application, and then sits down at the window and is faithfully working on this application. Simultaneously, Boaz, the owner of the coffee shop, walks in through the back of the coffee shop store. And what does he do? Right? He sees his employees and they're like, oh, surprise, I didn't know that you were coming in today. Yeah, well, hey, how are you? Pleasantries, pleasantries, pleasantries. He's very kind and very nice. Hey, I just stopped by to grab an invoice. And so it's like, oh, I see the invoice. So he reaches to grab it on the counter. But at the same time, the doorbell or the door opens and the little door ring, ring, and it gets his attention. And he looks up and right through the window is a ray of light. Some comes down and there's Ruth and the angels go, and you go, story over. Like, you could stop. Like, you're watching a Hallmark movie at this point, you go, pause, let's change the channel. I already know what's going to happen. <laughs> I know. I don't know how they're going to end up together. They're going to have some ups and downs. They're probably going to have a little tiff or two. But at the end of the movie, guess what? They're soulmates. And the same is actually, in part, true with Ruth. Like, you look at this as a story, and you go, you could stop reading because you know they're going to end up together, but if we, we stop now, we miss. We miss getting the opportunity to see how God is actually at work in the midst of the small story. And then we miss how we see that God is actually using the large story and the small story and how he's bringing them together, right? You see, the author in this moment, it's like he's using this chance language, like happened and behold. And so from us in our human perspective, we go, yeah, fancy meeting you here. What a small world. And the author's like, no, that's the opposite. He's screaming at us with this language saying, open your eyes and look and see how God is at work, not just in the big, but in the small. 
He's screaming at us, inviting us to see that tension being played out. You see, I think in our culture, in, in American culture, like it's hard to get our attention. It has to be really big to get our attention. And so when we look at things like Asbury, we're like, man, revival? Like, that's a word that's still in the dictionary? That can happen in the United States in 2023? Like, that can happen? And we're like, man, way to go, God. That is incredible. And we celebrate it, and we go, that is so huge. And we go, but what about the really small things? When we see and identify when God is working in the small, it's a little bit harder, isn't it? And yet, that's what the author, I think, is doing. He's inviting us into the story, and he's helping us to see and to show us that God is intertwining the big story with the little story. See the moment for what it really is, right? And Boaz, he does probably what any guy would do. It catches his attention, and he turns to his guy, to his worker. He says, who is this person? This is how he responds in verse 6. It says, and the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Then he relays what she said earlier that morning. Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. You see, the first thing that we find about this, the worker and how he's relaying the information, what does he call her? Does he call her Ruth? No, he calls her what? Moabite. And so automatically, if you're Boaz and you're listening to the story, immediately the tension of her ethnicity enters into the story. And yet, what follows is a, is a piece about her moral character and her work ethic. You see, she knows the laws about gleaning. Does she know Deuteronomy 24? Absolutely. But did she come to the field and be like, give me my wheat? No, she comes and she knows that the law says this is for a foreigner. What does she do? May I please walk behind you? Do you see the humility? You see the vulnerability of this woman? She's owed everything that she's doing and she still says please. So much humility in this space, right? It's so, so beautiful. But then he talks about her work ethic, right? She came early this morning, and then guess what? She hasn't stopped working until now, except for a tiny short break. You want to know why this is important? Because in our, in our English Bible, in our canon, it goes Joshua, Judges, Ruth. In the Hebrew canon, do you think that that's the way it works? No. Ruth follows what book? Proverbs. What? Why? Do you know what's at the end of Proverbs? Chapter 21, or 31. You know what chapter 31 says? A godly wife who can find. And then it goes on to describe her great moral character. And then it goes on to describe her great work ethic and says, you surpass them all. You see, you read through the Hebrew canon and you read through Proverbs and you go, wow, Proverbs 31, does this woman even exist? Is this even possible? Boom, Ruth. And there she is. 
centerfold of this scripture right here. She's like, she's right here for all of us. See, it's this beautiful picture of, of, of godly, godly woman. And so Boaz, in this moment, what does he do? He turns and he says to, his, to her, like this is the moment where he walks to the window. He walks to the window while she's filling out her job application. He says to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. When, when, you, hear, when you hear that, do you hear the favor that's coming out of his voice, like the tone? Translation, you don't need to finish filling out the application. You're a part of our family now, and we're going to care for you, and we're going to love for you. And we're going to do everything we can to help you. So much favor in this moment, right? And it's so shocking to Ruth that this is her response in verse 10. Then she fell on her face. Hey, let me ask you, when was the last time you were so overwhelmed by somebody's gracious favor to you that you fell on your face? Because here's Ruth she knows she doesn't deserve it. And she asks this question, right? She says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Since I am a foreigner. And this is the way that this comes out, right? So we know that she's labeled as a Moabite. Here's how she knows and sees herself. I'm a foreigner. But what's the contrast? What's, what's the thing from, from Boaz that, that contrasts it? Favor. And these two words, they, like, they echo off of the pages. Foreigner, but favor. I'm a foreigner, but favor. Foreigner? Favor. Like, what do you see in me that you would show me favor? Don't you think that this is how we should view our relationship with God? Do you ever think that, do you ever feel like God maybe just brings just slightly more to the table than you do? Like, like it's just tipped a little bit in his favor? Because he brings it all. Because we have nothing. And yet what he does is he shows up with all of this, this love, right? It's this slightly unbalanced, right? But then when he says, he's answering her question, she says, why? He answers and says, here's why. Because everything that you have done since the moment of the beginning of the story until now has been relayed to me. I understand your story. Here's what my hope is for you, that the Lord would repay you. You see, you look at this word, right? Repay, and we think like financial deficit or something. It's actually much bigger than that. The word repay here in Hebrew is from shalom. Shalom means peace or complete or whole or full. And it's this portrait or this picture of all the way back in the very beginning when God created the universe before sin ever enters in and causes corruption and disruption. The world exists in the way that it ought to be. And everything is at peace. 
And so when Boaz looks at Ruth, he goes, I understand that your life has some emptiness in it. Can I tell you, this is not the way that life is supposed to be. So he doesn't just like shuck money at her. What he says is, my hope for you is that God would give you fullness. The fullness, the way that it was designed to be. Let me just ask you this question, when you see people who are hurting, who are broken, whether they're inside the church or they're outside the church, is that what you want for them? Do you look at them and say, man, I don't even even know if I like you, but here's the deal. I want you to be full, to experience the fullness of God. And so if we wrap up this, this piece right before we summarize the end, I, like here would be my challenge to you guys is to be like Boaz, right? Be like Boaz and unleash God's unceasing kindness, right? Don't hold on to it, right? Because when we look back at that dollar bill, we want to snatch it back for ourselves and bring it back. But what I'm asking you to do is to, to put on the clothes of Boaz here, who is, is God's vessel for mercy and kindness. And I want you just, to, instead of holding on to it, would you just let it go? Would you just let it burst into the world and that God's kindness would just shine through you? That's my challenge. So as we move and we summarize this last portion, right, this is, it moves from the field to the meal, right? And so they come in and they're going to go to the table. And here's what it says in verse 17. It says, excuse me, at 14, it says, in the mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. We're going to use that as kind of our platform for communion today as we celebrate the Lord's Passover, but let me, let me just tell you, here's how the rest of this story goes, is that she sits at a table with Boaz, with everybody else, the family, the workers, and and Boaz is passing the food around, and everybody's getting food, and, and they're experiencing a meal together. In fact, she eats so much that she is fully satisfied. And so here's the story, right? It's a story that started with no food. All of a sudden, she's eating to her fill, So much so that she actually has leftovers. And so she takes them home and she gives them to Naomi. And it's out of the overflow of her eating that she's able to provide and give for even other people. And it's this beautiful story, right? But even in the midst of that, like she gets up from the table after she's satisfied and it's the symbol for fullness, right? She goes back into the field. Boaz, like you picture him, he leans over the table. Hey guys, guys, gather it up. Guess what? Guess what? Don't ruin this for me. Don't mess this up. I like this girl, okay? This is big. He says it more nicely than that. Here's what he says. He says, when you go out, would you just take a few more of those wheats and drop them on the ground? You see, you might look at that as pity. I see it as grace. Because what Boaz is doing is he's modeling justice because he's following the law. But nowhere does the, in the law does it say you can't be more generous. And so he models justice and grace for his people. He says, give her more. 
And so what she does is she collects all of this wheat. At the end of it, she goes home. She has 30 pounds worth of food, which is enough for two weeks. So again, story where there's nothing, there's no food, and there's emptiness. Now all of a sudden, 30 pounds worth of food plus leftovers are entering into the home, and things begin to change. God's redemption story is starting to unfold in new and powerful ways. And when we think about our own stories, we don't know how God is redeeming. I don't know how he's going to fill the holes that exist in your story. Here's what I know. He has a plan that will bring you to fullness. And that he is actively working in your story, whatever your struggle is, whatever that emptiness is, he's actively working to buy that moment, those people, those relationships back for his purposes. That's what I know. So when we come back to this, this is how we'll end. Right? As we started with this story, Right? We started with the story with Naomi. Right? Before we even got to, to Ruth and Boaz, we started with with Naomi and her bitterness. Right? That's where it started. But then how does the story unfold? Well, we're introduced to Boaz, and, and Ruth has some initiative, right? And what we find is that here's Ruth, who's a Moabite, and she's a foreigner. And yet here's Boaz, who is worthy and shows favor. You see the Old Testament, like Hallmark story, like Hallmark movie, right? Here's how, we would, here's how we would cap this off. Humility of Ruth meets the grace of Boaz. When the humility of Ruth meets the grace of Boaz, something special happens. So much so that the story ends, what started with bitterness, it ends with hope for Naomi. So I want you just to take a look at the story here for a second. You learn as you look at the story, right? You go, man, like we are a broken people who have lots of struggles. Maybe we have bitterness, whatever it is. There's so much here. We go, there is a clear and present need for redemption. But here's my other point. Where does that come from? Does that come from within Naomi? No, it comes from outside of herself, the way that God provided outside of her story. And so if you're looking at this, you go, wow, we have need for redemption. But here's the deal. I want you to look through the story now. Don't just look at it. I want you to look through the story because what do you find? Is Jesus. You see, you find Jesus at the center of the story because it's not just that we need redemption, it's that we have redemption. And it's in the midst of our struggle, it's in the midst of whatever is going on that only in Jesus can we experience fullness. When we start empty, when we start bitter, when we start incomplete, when there's no peace in my life, it's only in Jesus where that happens. You see, here's my thought to you guys is let's not choose because in so oftentimes in life what we do is that we take all of these struggles and all of these holes in our life and we want answers to all of those questions and so we demand answers for God to bring that and what we're doing is we're dictating from God the way that we want our story to look. Instead, flip it on its head and realize that it's not those that bring you fullness. You have fullness in Jesus already and allow the big story to overflow into your small story. 
Because then wherever you're at, right in the moment, you can point yourself or anybody else to Jesus. As this morning, God is inviting you to a meal. He's inviting you to a meal. And at that meal, you might come empty, but guess what? You can eat to your heart's satisfaction, and you will be full. So full that you can be overflowing, and what you eat, you can take with you and give to other people. So this morning, we're going to celebrate a communion, and we're going to kind of celebrate the Passover, right? Um, but while, while we're getting ready for that, uh, let me just pray as we move into that. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we wrap this time up, we've got a song, we've got communion. Lord, I pray right now, right here, wherever we're at in our struggle, Lord, that you would meet us in our struggle. For some people, that's small. For some people, it's huge. For some people, it's been 10 years. Some people, it's been 20 years. For some people, it's been 10 days. Maybe for some of us, it's been 10 minutes. But whatever it is, Lord, would you meet us in the struggle? Would you remind us that as when humility and grace meet is where transformation happens? Lord, that you would be very present this morning as you, as you enter into our stories, that you would express your extravagant love that we would see in you, that we have the fullness of all that we need, that that can be the thing that dictates our story, that Jesus would be the focus point so that we can point ourselves and anyone else to Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.